Okay. All right, I'm trying to start here. We see one person's in. Oh, um. Just trying to get rid of that. Hello. I I see one person in. Good evening. My name is Cheryl. Welcome. I'll be starting in a minute. I'm gonna go um, live on Instagram as well. Let me set that up. Okay. I'm live on Instagram and I'm on Zoom call for the free class on pain and sedation. All righty. I'm going to kind of minimize the, my face a little bit so you can see the content on my presentation. Okay. All right, so my name is Cheryl. I'm a registered nurse. I started my career in healthcare as a licensed practical nurse, and I attended Washington Adventist University in Maryland, where I completed my BSN. I was a CNA before I was an LPN, um, though. Um, sure, I have spent over 20 years working with the critically ill population, and in the last 15 years, caring for patients in the surgical ICU and the cardiovascular thoracic ICU at one of the largest and busiest hospitals in Washington, DC. I help physicians in um, long-term care as well. I have been a director of quality improvement, a director of infection control, a nurse director, critical care nurse, uh, nurse manager, educator. I'm also a BLS, um, AHA instructor. So my passion is to teach um, and share information in an easy to understand manner. And I hope today's class will help you with that. Our objectives are to learn the general principles of analgesia and sedation and neuromuscular blockade. Learn how to assess pain and sedation. Learn about physiological mechanisms of pain and responses to pain and to how to apply the concepts in assessment and management of analgesia and sedatives in a critically ill patient. Okay, first we have to de define pain. Pain is defined as an unpleasant sensory emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage. The three types of pain are acute pain, chronic pain, and neuropathic pain. Acute pain is uh, from which a patient is expected to recover. Chronic pain lasts beyond the normal healing period. The normal healing period for most people is about six weeks. 
um, neuropathic pain, that is a result of um, nerve damage. And an example of that will be somebody who has ha um, damage from diabetes or PAD. Um, pain is always subjective, always subjective. Even for drug-seeking patients, it's always subjective. We cannot assume because they look comfortable that they are not in pain. Um, it's always a subjective thing. And I will try to remember um, people on IG. Welcome. All right, so um, nociceptive versus neuropathic pain. Nociceptive pain is a pathological process in the peripheral organs and tissues. Pain projection into damaged body parts or referred pain. Neuropathic pain is a pathologic process as well in the somatosensory system. Um, and it's a projection into innervation, into the innervation territory, so in the nerves. Uh, physiological mechanisms of pain. Uh, peripheral mechanisms, pain response is elicited with tissue injury via nerve endings. There's a spinal cord integration, many neurotransmitters and other receptor systems modulate the processing of peripheral nerve input in the spinal cord. And then you have central processing. Following spinal integration, oh, I'm so tongue-tied. Um, I need some coffee, that's really what I need. But um, peripheral impulses travel to the brain via somatosensory pathways, the unique physiological, cognitive, and emotional Responses to pain are determined and modulated by the specific areas to which the somatosensory pathways project. The thalamus regulates the neurochemical response to pain. The cortex and the limbic systems are responsible for the perception of and response to pain. And the reticular activating system, or the RAS, regulates the heightened state of awareness to pain. Um, I have a little uh, diagram here. One of my good sources um, that I get information from is up to date. You know, if you can get access to that, it's very um, detailed, simple to understand usually. Um, the theories there. So that's a picture of how the pain goes from the um, tissue injury and up to the brain tell you I'm in pain. Okay, responses to pain. Pain can be physical and emotional. Um, sympathetic activation leads to increased cardiac contractility, dilation of the bronchioles to increase oxygenation, increase in circulation, blood glucose, shift in circulation from the superficial vessels to the heart, the lungs, and the nervous system. And also, um, this sympathetic activation inhibits gastric secretion, so you secrete less acid. Um, signs and symptoms of sympathetic activation are increased heart rate, increased respirations, pupil dilation, pallor and perspiration, increased blood pressure, and nausea and vomiting. Patients that are critically ill may not exhibit the symptoms noted above. Each person to um, response to pain is different. Okay, let's go on to assessing pain. Lyra B, hi. Hi. <laughs> right. um, pain expression in the critically ill patient. So you're gonna have verbal cues like crying, screaming, silence could be a verbal cue. So the person just like sitting still, won't move, won't do anything. Moaning, um, facial cues are grimacing and squinting, for example. You have body movements like splinting, rubbing, rocking, rhythmic movement of the extremity shaking or tapping the bed rails. I'm sure you guys know about that. Bang, bang, bang on the side rail. Sometimes they do that for other reasons though, like agitation, delirium, or some people are just 
like that. Um, grabbing the nurse's arm is another example of body movement uh, related to pain expression. Patients who receive um, neuromuscular blocking agents such as vecuronium require an opioid infusion to ensure pain relief. Um, neuromuscular blocking agents do not affect sensory nerves and do not have energy qualities. So uh, um, we take care of a lot of patients that are uh, COVID patients on um, ECMO, for example, and they have to be really sedated. Um, some of have to have a, a, a drip of VEC. And um, with that, you always have to have pain management because we don't know um, what the patient is experiencing when they're paralyzed. Okay, pain assessment. For patients that can communicate, a variety of tools to assess pain intensity are available. You have the numeric rating scale, which is the NRS, that uses numbers between zero and 10 to describe pain intensity. Um, the anchors are no pain to worse pain. You have the verbal descriptive scale, which is the VDS, and that offers patients a standardized list of adjectives to describe their pain intensity. And descriptors are non to mild to moderate to severe. The visual analog scale or the VAS, where the patient makes a mark anywhere along a line from no pain to maximum pain that represents the worst pain possible. And then you have the faces scale, um, six faces depicting different expressions ranging from happy to extremely upset. And each is assigned a numerical value between zero and 10. From somebody smiling to somebody crying with the upside down mouth. Um, all right, so here in, is an example of the pain scales that I just um, um, talked about. Um, that you can reference to. All right, so there is something called the PQRST, Pain Assessment Method. The PQRST method um, of assessing pain is a valuable tool to accurately describe, assess, and document a patient's pain. The method also aids in selection of an appropriate pain medication and evaluating the response to the treatment. Nurses can help patients more accurately report their pain by using these three or these very specific um, PQRST assessment questions. So the P means provocational pal palliation. What provokes the pain or what precipitates the pain? And then you have Q, quality, quantity. What is the quality of the pain? R means region or radiation. Does the pain radiate to locations other than the chest? And S, severity scale. What is the severity of the pain? And that's where you use your um, number scale, VAS and then the NRS those pain scales. And then you have um, the timing. What is the time of the onset of this episode of pain? Documentation. In addition to uh, facilitating accurate pain assessment, careful and complete documentation demonstrates that you're taking all the proper steps to ensure your patients receive the highest quality in pain management. It is important to document the following things. Patient's understanding of the pain scale, Describe the patient's ability to assess pain level using the zero to 10 pain scale, whichever zero to 10 scale you wanna use, whether it's the faces, the nonverbal, um, the numeric one. Um, patient satisfaction with pain level with current treatment modality. Ask the patient what his or her pain level was prior to taking pain medication and after taking pain medication. If the patient's pain level is not acceptable, what interventions were taken? Um, so you have to um, check on them within 30 minutes to an hour after you give the pain medication usually. Timely reassessment following any in intervention and response to treatment. Quote, the patient's response is the most accurate way of um, 
documenting the response to treatment. Um, communication with the physician, always report any, any change in the condition. Patient education provided and patient's response to learning. Don't write the patient understands without a supportive evaluation such as the patient can verbalize, demonstrate, or describe what they've learned, okay? Okay, approaches to pain management. The primary goal is to provide optimal patient comfort. Secondary goals include preventing adverse physiological responses to pain, like increased in heart rate and such. Um, prevent development of chronic pain syndromes and control anxiety and delirium. Pain, if it's not controlled, can result in delirium and make people very anxious. Um, effectiveness of analgesic drugs in the critically ill patients may be improved by IV administration rather than oral or sub-Q or intramuscular routes. We all know those routes, they take a longer time to, to, be, to get effective to, or to have an effect from it. Um, and in the ICU, we tend to like, especially on the surgical side of things, we tend to like instant gratification now. Get that thing fixed, get that pain fixed, get everything fixed like now. So just remember that you have to, um, you should use IV administration in this kind of environment. Um, continuous or regular administration schedule rather than an as needed intermittent dosing. Um, and then a patient control analgesia or PCA. A lot of the times our patients um, may be sedated or um, so tired or so volume overloaded, they don't even know how to push the PCA button. So if we can get something like Tylenol or some other medication, Lyrica, whatever, other medication that can you know, work in the background and you can push their pain button periodically for them, ask them if they're in pain frequently, that will, help control the pain um, or, and then, you know, when you are giving PRN medication like fentanyl, for example, usually it lasts one hour, maybe, maybe 20 minutes. Um, so you will find time as an issue to go back and forth to your Pixis or wherever you're taking this medication from every 20 minutes or every hour to get pain medication. And so the pain will go up and down, up and down, and there won't be like a level um, of control over a patient's pain. All right, here's an example of a patient control analgesia pump. This is the Alaris um, pump. All right, we're gonna talk about um, opioid analgesics. And just going to go over a few of them and um, tell you about the advantages and disadvantages. First one is fentanyl. The advantage is it's a potent analgesic sedative with immediate onset and less hypotension than other opioid analgesic choices due to relative lack of histamine release. And it is metabolized hepatically. Disadvantages, highly lipophilic parent drug accumulates in adipose and other tissue with repeated or prolonged administration. Chest wall rigidity may occur with higher dosing. And the role it plays, it's a good choice for analgesia for most critically ill patients. I had a patient the other day that um, didn't want to push his PCA button because he was in fear that he was going to get addicted to fentanyl. So in that case, you have to talk with your provider and come up with another um, option for this patient. Uh, and just remind them, you know, this is an acute phase. Once it's used in, acute, in an acute phase, usually people don't get addicted to things in, in one or two days or three days. But some people are unusual. They might be those um, who do get addicted that fast. Opioid analgesics continued. Hydromorphone or dilated advantages, IV administration 
requires small volumes relative to other opioids. Maybe an advantage for people receiving drugs that significantly alter CYP3A4 meta metabolism and thereby interact with fentanyl. And disadvantages are uh, potentially neurotoxic and may accumulate in hepatic and or renal dysfunction. So you have to be careful with people with these um, impairments of their kidneys or liver when you're given hydromorphone. Analgesic option is an alternative to fentanyl or morphine. Those adjustment and gradual titration needed for patients with renal and or hepatic impairment. Morphine sulfate. Advantage is it's a non-CYP metabolism. Maybe an advantage for selected patients receiving drugs that affect the CYP3A4 metabolism and may interact with fentanyl. Um, disadvantages, it can accumulate in the hepatic or renal dysfunction and prolong effects. Histamine release and vaguely mediated venodilation, hypotension, bradycardia can be significant. The role, an analgesic alternative to fentanyl or hydromorphone, where preload reduction and myocardial depressive effects are desirable or tolerable. So when your patient has chest pain, for example, they may use this in the CCU versus in the CVICU, for example. You should avoid in patients with advanced or decompensated liver disease, renal impairment due to risk of accumulation of neurotoxic metabolite. And infusions are not generally used for sedation or analgesia in the ICU, but are more commonly used for palliative purposes. So you might have a patient that they were drawing care on and they're putting them on comfort care and they may change the um, opioid to from fentanyl or dilated to morphine. Okay, non-opioid analgesics, acetaminophen, everybody knows about Tylenol. Um, it lacks dependence and tolerance of opioids and it lacks antiplatelet effect and GI toxicity of NSAIDs. So it doesn't do any of those things. Um, disadvantages are it lacks significant anti-inflammatory effect and IV preparation requires administration over 15 minutes. A lot of times um, in the ICU that I work, the um, post-op, they would give the patient like a gram of IV Tylenol um, prior to them coming up to the unit or immediately after they arrive. Um, this drug Tylenol can cause hepatotoxicity and chronic or acute overdose. Um, uh, avoid or use a lower dose in older adults and patients at risk for hepato hepatotoxicity. Uh, like people who are use heavy, have heavy use of alcohol or are mal malnourished. It may prolong the INR. I didn't know that until I actually did this research. Um, and it may cause a risk of hepatic inflammation. The role is the first choice of, for treatment of mild to moderate acute pain and febrile conditions, adjunctive analgesic that may reduce opioid requirements. And when hepatic dysfunction is significant, consider avoiding or redosing the dose to less than two grams a day, for example. Pregabalin, otherwise known as Lyrica, the advantage of this drug is the effective treatment of neuropathic pain. Um, it's more reliable than gabapentin and may provide for more rapid onset of analgesia with shorter amount of time needed to titrate the full dose. It has a lower risk of drug interactions. Um, disadvantages are it requires enteral administration. So you have to put it down the NG, uh, well, the person has to take the pill. Scheduled dosing and titration over days to weeks. Adverse effects include sedation, blurred vision, dry mouth, dizziness, ataxia, which may be intensified in renal impairment. So you have to possibly readjust the dose. Um, and it should not be abruptly stopped because of the risk 
for these discontinuation symptoms. And the role of this is useful for adjunct to other analgesics for treatment of neuropathic and post-operative pain or dysesthesias in patients who can't be treated with enteral medication. And you have to do, uh, have a renal dose for people with renal impairment. Gabapentin, effective for treatment of neuro neuropathic pain, is a low-rich drug interactions. And it requires enteral in administration, so PO. Um, titration is individualized over days to weeks. Um, adverse effects could include sedation, dizziness, ataxia, similar to um, Lyrica, which may be intensified in the renal impairment requiring a dose adjustment. And that should not be uh, um, abruptly stopped either. It's a useful adjunct to other analgesics for treatment of neuropathic and post-operative pain. And you wanna adjust for dose, dose for renal impairment. Ketirolac, that is otherwise called um, Tordal, old drug, but anyways. Um, sometimes you have these younger men with this, all this muscle musculature and um, you've tried everything, fentanyl, Dilaudid, uh, Lyrica, gabapentin, all of them, acetaminophen. And sometimes if you try this, it, it has an anti-inflammatory um, um, loss of words now, property. And so um, it works in some people very nicely. The advantages are it lacks dependence and tolerance of opioids and it's effective anti-inflammatory drug. Disadvantages, it can cause or worsen renal insufficiency. So it's kind of like an NSAID IV. Um, Dose-related risk of gastropathy, it reversibly inhibits platelet functioning and may alter cardioprotective effect of aspirin. So you have to be careful with that too. Role, it's an adjunctive analgesic that may reduce opioid requirements. Avoiding renal impairment, GI bleeding, platelet dysfunction, ischemic heart disease, heart failure, reduced cardiac output, any hypovolemic state, asthma or cirrhosis. And it's contraindicated in treatment of perioperative pain in coronary artery bypass graft. Although I have seen it given to the cabbage patients. Uh, ibuprofen, everybody knows that Motrin lacks dependence and tolerance of opioids. Effective anti-inflammatory can cause or worsen renal insufficiency, dose-related risk of gastropathy, and reversibly inhibits platelet functioning, can alter cardioprotective effect of aspirin. Just like Toradol. Um, it can help with uh, reducing acute pain and febrile condition, conditions. So it's a fever reducer. And you should avoid this drug if the person has some renal impairment, GI bleeding, platelet dysfunction, ischemic heart disease, heart failure, reduced cardiac output, hypovolemic state, asthma, cirrhosis. Okay, other approaches. Now I've gotten through the the, there are so many drugs that are out there that they can use, but um, those are the major ones. Opioids and non-opioids that are usually seen in the CDICO. Other approaches that you can use to manage pain are things like distraction, music, conversation, watching TV, laughing with the patient. I have this thing. Oh, I should have brought it. I have this little pill plush thing that I, um, I have in my car. And when I squeeze it, it just lasts and lasts and lasts. It makes you laugh. I'm going to um, do a little video about it. Um, and, but laughter helps, you know, distract you. Deep breathing. This technique helps to increase endorphin production. Imagery alters the perception of pain stimuli, promotes relaxation, and increases endorphin production. And then relaxation techniques such as deep breathing and a family presence at the bedside. Um, 
I think you can use things like lavender too, some scents help with that, with um, pain relief. All right, type and management of side effects. Depressed consciousness, depression of respiratory drive, hallucinations of delirium, hypotension, histamine release, peripheral vasodilation, nausea and vomiting, tolerance, withdrawal, opioid-induced hyperalgia, ileus, urinary tension, puritis, and increased intracranial pressure. Those are all side effects. Pain meds that we should watch for. All right, so we're moving on to sedation. Reasons for sedation are Attaining amnesia, ventilator, ventilator synchrony or tolerance, um, anxiety and fear, patient safety, sleep deprivation and delirium. Short-term um, sedatives include ones like midazolam, um, propofol, dexmedetomidine, ketamine, Intermediate sedatives are lorazepam, diazepam. Sedation scales, goals and monitoring. Sedation allows for a target level of sedation. Sedation level is documented hourly until target level of sedation is achieved. There are numerous scoring systems to assess the depth of sedation that are valid and reliable in adults who are mechanically ventilated and critically ill. Current guidelines support the use of the RAS or the Richmond Agitation Sedation Scale or the SAS, which is the Rikers Sedation Agitation Scale. Alternative scoring systems include the Modal Activity Assessment Scale or the MAS, um, and then the MSAT, which is the Minnesota Sedation Assessment Tool. Um, and then the Ramsey sedation scale. Sedative analgesic medication should not be overused because excess sedation may unnecessarily prolong the duration of mechanical ventilation. So the patient will, will um, be on the ventilator longer if they're sedated too long. Um, the Ramsey scale, here it is. It rates from one to six and one meaning the patient is awake, agitated, or restless or both, and six, six means they are asleep, no response to loud or auditory, to a tap loud or auditory stimulus. And then this, the awake one, which is, I guess, the middle of the row three, awake but responds to commands only, four is asleep versus response to light, tap or auditory stimulus. This one I'm not too familiar with. We don't use that a whole lot, um, but it's something that you can use. Um, the RAS, we used up quite a bit in the ICU that, well, we use it every day <laughs> um, in the ICU. So it goes, it's a scale that goes from zero to positive four, meaning alert and calm to combative, which is positive four. And then it goes from minus one to minus five. Minus one being drowsy, two being light sedation, three being moderate sedation, four being deep sedation, and five being unarousable. Um, so basically you have to observe the patient. Um, is the patient alert and calm? Then they are zero. Does the patient have a behavior that is consistent with restlessness or agitation? You have to score them plus one to plus four using all the criteria up here. For example, if you want to score somebody a plus three, that puts them in a category where they're very agitated. They're pulling on or removing tubes and catheters and has aggressive behavior to, towards the staff. Like they're trying to punch you and pull everything out and get out the bed. I had a patient like that uh, recently, and the patient actually was on vets, and um, 
what really was happening with that patient is that they were hypoxic and it was causing this behavior to occur because they were bleeding and it was causing hypoxia. Um, so yeah. And then for somebody in deep sedation, which is a negative four, they have no responsive voice, but any movement to physical stimulation. Um, if the patient is not alert, in a loud speaking voice, state the patient's name and direct them to open their eyes, look at the speaker, repeat once if necessary, and you can prompt them to continue looking at the speaker or looking at you. Patient has eye opening and contact, which is sustained for more than 10 seconds, that's a negative one. Patient has eye opening that and eye contact, but is not sustained for 10 seconds, that's a negative two. And patient has any movement in response to voice, excluding eye contact, that's a negative three. If the patient doesn't respond to voice, physically stimulate the patient by shaking the shoulder and rubbing the sternum if there is no response to shaking the shoulder. Patient has um, any movement to physical stimulation, score them a negative four. If the patient has no response to voice or physical stimulation, they will be a negative five. The other um, scale that you can use is the GCS scale, um, Glasgow Coma Scale. Um, so you have a score between three and 15. Um, eye opening response, spontaneous is four points. To verbal stimuli command, three points. To pain only, two points. And no response, one point. That's for eye opening. And then for verbal response, you um, oriented, five points. Confused with conversation, but able to answer the questions, four points. In inappropriate words, three points. Incomprehensible speech, two points. And no response, one point. And then you have the motor part of it, which is the patient obeys commands for movement, that's six points. Purposeful movement to pain stimulus, five points. Withdraws in response to pain, four points. Flexion in response to pain or decortication, posturing, three points. And deseverating or um, extension in response to pain, that's two points. So no response, one point. You add those up. And when you add a T to it, that means that the person has a trach or they're intubated and that part of the assessment, you know, is documented that way. Um, drugs to, to sedate the critically ill patients. You have fentanyl, hydromorphone, morphine. We went over these earlier, I think. I don't know what I did with this slide, but um, <laughs> it's just a reminder. And then you uh, have morphine sulfate, um, sedative hypnotic such as benzos, diazepam, lorazepam, midazolam. Aesthetic sedative is an example of propofol, alpha-2 agonist or like dexmedetomidine. And neuroleptics, Haldol, olanzapine, quintiapine, risperidone, and then barbiturates. Thiopental, methohexatol. I don't think I've ever given a, a barbiturate to a critically ill patient before. Okay, neuromuscular blockade. This is where you paralyze people. Um, otherwise known as NMB. The use of neuromuscular blockade in the critically critical care unit is generally confined to severe. Um, To severe situations where management with analgesics and sedatives is not enough to ensure desired outcomes. In these cases, the patient's muscular movements contribute to hemodynamic, pulmonary, and or neurological instability. And NMB may be a life-saving intervention. NMB may be used to prevent patient ventilator dyssynchrony, improve oxygenation, and reduce the risk of viral trauma. Additional clinical indications for NMB include rapid sequence intubation, you know, when they tell you bring the vet, bring the rock. Management of shivering um, during targeted temperature management to control the elevated ICP. 
Short-acting neuromuscular blockade agents. Mivacurium is a rapid-acting and short duration of about 15 minutes. Sucks is a rapid-acting with short duration of three to five minutes, commonly used during procedures such as endotracheal intubation. And adverse effects of these are it can um, cause hyperkalemia, it can cause malignant hypothermia, and it shouldn't be used in patients at risk for hyperkalemia or with underlying neuromuscular disease. So if somebody has a renal issue, you want to you know, ask the provider, do you really want to use this? We might have to use something else because it will cause, it will exacerbate that hyperkalemia. Um, intermediate acting neuromuscular blockade agents, rocuronium, is a steroid-like medication that can be used for procedures as an alternative to sucks. So if your patient can't get sucks, you, they might be given rocuronium instead. It has an onset of 45 to 60 seconds in, and a duration of 30 minutes. So it lasts about 50 minutes longer than, um, than VEC. Oh, sucks, I should say. Um, adverse effects. It has a potential to exacerbate tachycardia due to in, uh, inhibition of the vagal activity. Vecuronium, another steroid-like agent, is metabolized by the liver and excreted by the kidneys. Um, two reversal agents for um, the neuromuscular blockade agents are sugar medics and neostigmine. Monitoring and management. Monitoring NMB is accomplished with the clinical assessment along with the use of a peripheral nerve stimulator or by monitoring airway pressure waveforms. Patients who are paralyzed may still experience pain and anxiety and fear. It is essential that patients receiving NMB agents be provided with analgesics and sedatives. Because the patient cannot communicate It's important to verbally reassure and the patient and provide frequent explanations about what is happening throughout the course of the day and the night. I mean, that's, that's not only for the patient who's paralyzed, but the patient who's sedated. Two, um, delirious patients, you want to tell them what you're doing. I know it might seem kind of weird talking to somebody who's not talking back to you, but um, they can hear you usually. And it may reduce some of their anxiety. Okay, principles of management for the use of sedatives and neuromuscular blocking agents. Treat pain prior to provide, providing sedation. That way you know the pain is kind of controlled before you sedate and you know what their threshold is as far as the pain is concerned, what they need to have to be comfortable. Um, target the highest or the lightest level of sedation that will allow individualized treatment goals to be achieved. Assess sedation level with a valid and reliable scale, including during moderate sedation procedures. Routinely monitor for entry delirium and provide sedation, analgesia, and meticulous physical care when in neuromuscular blockade is administered. Use clinical assessment in conjunction with peripheral nerve stimulation and or airway pressure monitoring to evaluate the level of the NMB. Um, some references that I've used, uh, ahrq.gov, um, has information about pain management. They have a PowerPoint there, uptodate.com. And uh, American Association of Critical Care Nurses. I use the essentials of critical care nursing. I also use the, um, the Pass the CCRN book. It has great information. Even if you've used it to pass the CCRN, you can still go back there and look up information about pain assessment, neuromuscular blockade, et cetera. All right, you can email me.
if you have any questions, info at CherylPalmer.com or let's see if I can get back to the chat. I'm not sure. Um, look, I'm new to this thing, okay? So bear with me. I'll get good at it. Don't worry. It's only a matter of time before that happens. They say practice makes perfect. Here is chat. So if you're um, on there and you want to ask a question, you can do that. Um, if you're on the live, you can do that. Thank you. I'm going to put on my glasses so I look more studious. And I can see the fine writing on the IG. Risa Well. Hi. Chick for freebies. Hi, how are you? Thank you for joining. I had anxiety when I first um, got on live, like about like, three weeks ago or so. But once I started running my mouth, it kind of got, you know, a little bit more comfortable. Well, great. What's your feedback about the class? What, what things do you want to know more about? I'm fine. I'm doing well, thanks. I'm hungry. I didn't eat my dinner because I didn't want to get drowsy. <laughs> I didn't want to get drowsy um, for this because you don't want to hear my faded voice. I'm going to be working on a... Um, What's this called? A uh, little guide that is going to have like the meds on there. And like a little critical care reference guide. Um, I just started working on that recently so that it will be something quick, probably double sided, um, to um, help in the ICU because a lot of it, you know, this information, you, you can't have like a big book where you flip through. You, you have to go through experiences to, um, to learn things. You have to do it over and over and over again, pretty much. Um, new people in the ICU where I work, they, uh, they are um, on orientation for four months. These are brand new people. And you know it takes a lot to to learn all this information, and only the experience of it you re really makes you make it stick. Um, I also, I'm working on my book. I don't think my book will be out by September 30th. I had some revisions that I need to do, but I may put out an ex expert ex excerpt. Yeah, that's a word. excerpt of it to share all right guys well um it's a cv icu guide that i have if you go on my website cherylpalmer.com you will see or click on the link in the bio it'll take you there um I'm just doing a guide for specific, specifically for the CVICU. And, but I, des I designed it and then I went to, you know, an editor and stuff and I had to, I changed my mind about a few things. So there may be a delay with that.
Yeah. I look more studious with these glasses. Abigail, thank you for joining me on um, Zoom. It was my pleasure doing this class and um, thank you all for support. Uh, I will repost. I am getting ready to end this live. I wish you all a great night and thank you again for joining. Bye. Thank you, Abby.